Are you listening to The Realness with Jed? Before I get started, here's some quick background info on my guest. He is a very dear friend from high school, a comic book and movie geek like me. He's a little weird, but he's hilarious and kind, observant, articulate, and has a big heart. And ladies, he's single and plays multiple musical instruments. He's also kind of like my long distance brother, so if you hear me messing with him, trust me, he's used to it. He has since moved to New Orleans. Um, I've actually visited him there a few times. And now he has embarked upon a stand-up career. So he recently came back to LA for a quick visit and stopped by to catch up with me. This episode will discuss the beginnings of that career and how social media plays into it. We talk about Superman and have an argument about Batman. It is seriously a whole lot of fun and I hope that it brightens your day like it did mine. Hey everybody, welcome to The Realness with Jed. I have a very special guest with me. He is visiting from New Orleans. Please welcome George Velasquez. Oh, hey guys. <laughs> Actually, Jed. What? Most people call me Jorge now. Do they really? Yeah. Why? Because you didn't let me call you Jorge in high school. I know. It's weird. Um, is it because it's cool right now to do like the ethnic thing where like your name is spelled J O R G E, so they're gonna do it right? No, it's because um, a friend of mine back uh, when I moved to New Orleans didn't want to be racist. Okay. And he's all like, but it's, it's, so how do I say it? I'm like, my mom calls me Jorge. All my friends call me George. He's like, I'm going to call you what your mom calls you. And he started calling me Jorge and introducing me to people as Jorge. And now I'm Jorge. Um, so, I don't know if I will call you Jorge. No, you can call me George. Um, I, I feel like you phased it out of me. Since I was not allowed to, I will not go back to that. Oh my God, I've I've um, <laughs> I've conditioned you. Oh fuck. Um, well, oh wait, can I cuss? Please. Okay, because I have labeled everything on wherever I've uploaded it to that this has explicit content. So. Oh, fan fucking tastic! I yes. love it. This is. Uh, do you know how to do the George Carlin? Um, uh, the seven dirty words. Yeah. Do you know how to do it? No. I don't have them memorized. Oh, I think it's um, fuck shit, bitch, motherfucker. And then cunt and cunt. cocksucker. Right? Yes, cunt and cocksucker. Um, was that seven? We can also just ask Google. What are the seven words? Not allowed on TV. <laughs> Here's a summary from Wikipedia. The seven dirty words are seven English language words that American comedian George Carlin first listed in 1972. <laughs> oh, she's not going to say them. She's not going to say them. Okay. Oh, um, shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Oh, tits. Okay. I, really? Tits? Yeah, really? But, but those he's old. Those, this is probably an archaic thing, right? He's, oh, yeah. old, he's an older comedian. So. These were first listed in 1972. Oh, that's why. By the way, I don't know this off the top of my head. The Wikipedia page is open <laughs> in front of me. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of comedians, yes. um, you are a comedian now. So tell us how you got started and what was your first experience like? Um... So a friend of mine, essentially, just uh, he pretty much just 
called me and was all like, hey, um, I just took this stand-up class seminar thing. It's like, I learned a lot. Do you want to sit down and write some jokes? I can tell, I can teach you what they teach, what they, <laughs> sorry, I got really high. And... I could tell you were high the minute you walked in. But... No, really? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I had an edible and then I've been hitting my pen. What were we saying? Um, stand-up. Yes. <clears throat> That's right. So yeah, uh, my friend was like, I can teach you everything they taught me. Do you want to sit down and write some jokes and then like go try and do stand-up? So I'm like, yeah, why not? That sounds fun. I had already been doing improv comedy for a few years by then. Like, who's lying? Is it anyway type of improv? Um, long form is what they call it. Um, uh, whose line is it anyway is short form. So where like you come in and you do all these little games and stuff. Uh, long form is where you come in and you start a scene. You just start a scene and you build it with your partners and hopefully you can draw out the funny elements in it. Um, and so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, so, and then, you know, I don't know if you remember back way back in high school, uh, we had the improv club and the drama club that I we do did remember. Together. How can you? How dare you? Okay, just for the record, I think you you graduated as with the most thespian points. Yes. But I want to say fuck you because I was behind you by two points. Yep. And the two? only two. I thought it was one. No, it's two. Okay. No, wait. Was it one? I thought. Let's it was just say one, one for the. Yeah, for the, it creates more tension. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I was very sore about that. You were. And I'm still kind of sore about it. Okay. But so, so don't you dare ever say, do you remember Drama Club? Because I fucking remember Drama Club. She remembers Drama Club. I wasn't sure if you remembered Improv Club. I did. I think that happened like <laughs> one year. <laughs> and it kind of It was apart. not successful. No. But it was fun. I think it's an acquired taste. Like, you have to learn how to be quick on your feet. Yeah. And you're, you have to be witty. And you can't just think like, oh, I'm going to try to be funny on the spot. There's only so many things you can do to be funny on the spot. Right. Yeah, I just, I didn't want to say this in case any of my fellow improvers were listening, but I don't like improv anymore. It has this weird quality to it where I'm like, okay, I'm just watching a bunch of grown adults, like, play make-believe, and I can enjoy it for about ten minutes. Um, that's about it. And then I'm like, cool, that was funny, I'm out. And then I get bored. I know, it sucks, I'm sorry, but it was fun doing it, and I don't regret it, and, um... I loved all the shows I watched when I watched them, but at some point I realized, like, oh, I think I'm over improv. Okay, so you segued into the big uh, leagues. Yeah, so when my friend said, hey, let's do stand-up, it was pretty easy for me to be like, yeah, I've, I've, I'm pretty quick on my feet. I've been doing improv. I can do jokes. Um, uh, so I we sat down, and he's like, just write a list of topics. And um, I wrote a list, and then he's like, just think of anything that might be funny about that. And I ended up with, like, three jokes. Um, Were they about your Mexicanness? Yes. Okay, of course. Oh, yes. I would love to say my jokes on your podcast, but they're just not as funny when you hear them, like, just told. You have to hear me perform them and tell them. But... Yeah, um, they essentially just deal with um, being Mexican and being from L.A. Because that's what I know. That's my life. That's where all the good material comes from. It must suck to be um, a comedian if you don't have, like, 
like fucked up people in your life. Oh, nothing, yeah. yeah, nothing to draw from. Yeah. And um, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, but it is on my bucket list to be to do stand up. Oh my god, I think you should do Jetlin. I think you're hilarious. Oh, I think you. you're funny. Um, and I also think you're full of um, this really amazing energy that would just come out, uh, would just be so fun to see uh, on stage. Oh, I love you. I think you can do it. And I've met your parents. I've been to your house. We 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 kind of we didn't grow up together, but we grew up together. Yeah. Um, in the high school day, he, they would be rich with history for me oh, to draw you, from. You have so much to pull from. Yeah, I, like so much that I'm almost envious. Like, <laughs> goddamn, why can't I have been raised Asian, <laughs> a little Mexican Asian boy? <laughs> That's true. That's so true. And I think now is a good time for me to show up just because Ali Wong paved the way for me and did all the hard work. Oh, so yeah. I, I'm just like, okay, cool. I'm just going to follow Asians are in right now. Yeah, yeah, Asians are totally in right now. Yeah, absolutely. They're, <laughs> they're great. They're full of energy. They're compact. You know, um, people, not cars. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I think, you, uh, yeah, I think it would actually do really well. Okay. Um, and I encourage it. Okay, well, see, now I'm talking to you, so I should get some tips, and you should tell me how you broke into it, and, oh, like, what was... Tell me terrible. what the fucking first time was like. Just tell me. Um. Okay, so she and I were at my friend's house. Oh, <laughs> uh, stand-up. Um, it, it, was, it was very nerve-wracking, um, right? Because, first off, we did a three-minute mic. And three minutes is nothing. And so it's almost like, I don't have time. Do I have time to be funny? I'm, I'm like, oh my God, okay, I just have to speed through through all of this because I've got three jokes and I have to squeeze them into three minutes. Otherwise, I'm going up there and telling, what, two jokes? So it's weird, right? You, uh, Your first time you're thinking like, okay, I got to pack. I got to make sure that I've got three minutes and that I don't have more and blah, 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 right? In in this three minutes, were you trying to put in the three jokes that you wrote down? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to fit in everything. And so I ended up sort of just kind of, um, when rehearsing it, I ended up having to, like, speed speed talk it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm exhausted. And so I ended up cutting it down to, I had, like, four jokes, and I thought they were so small they'd be perfect. And I ended up cutting it down to about three um, two really short ones and uh, one slightly longer one. And, um, yeah, it's nerve-wracking because it's my first time, and so there I am, like, with my friend, like, timing ourselves and making sure that we don't go over the three minutes because we don't want to look like fucking assholes our first time. And um, so I get on... They call my name, I get on stage, and I'm just... I'm so nervous, I'm pacing back and forth a lot. I have my phone in my hand, it just... It was kind of surreal, and well, you know what it's like to be on stage in general when you're performing. Yep. You've got those bright lights on yeah. you. You can't see the audience. Um, but you like have to hyper-focus on what you're going to do. Yeah. yeah, and so there I am just trying to make sure that I, that I know what words I'm saying and what order and that um, I don't fuck them up, um, which still happens. I have a joke where like I just blurt out, Craft cheese singles don't melt. And I got a little too drunk one time, and I'm like, Craft slingles don't. And I'm like, Whoa. I had to say it three times, but they laughed. 
Well, did they think that was part of your shtick? Probably. Okay. Probably because uh, one of the things I'm doing right now is um, uh, I get introduced as having so much energy, and there, um, and then like they introduce me and I take a second to get on stage and I'm like, oh fuck. I didn't know I was supposed to do this. I thought I had more time. Oh, I see. And then I come in and then, like, I just do this whole, like, I am too stoned to be here right now because I didn't know I was supposed to be here. And, like, it, there's a lot of silence in that first fucking minute. Because people are trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. No, no, no. But for me. Oh. Like, for me. I'm not saying anything. I'm just out there, like, I'm too high to, and I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying. I don't get the type of high that I play. Right, the the type of high that I play on stage is like, I don't know what's going on. Um, what am I? Uh, what do I do? Uh, I'm never like that, but um, that's what I'm doing right now. I get on stage and I'm just like, um, uh, did you ever? Uh, Ugh, I should yeah. record this. <laughs> I wish people could see your gestures. Right. They, they make it more funny. <laughs> they do, right? And that's the risk. Like, so right here on the podcast, people listening just heard a lot of silence. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. But yeah. on stage, um, that silence plays really well. But it's risky because it's like, you're not telling a joke. <laughs> like, you're counting on silence. Yeah. To be funny. Have you ever had, like, a, like tomatoes being thrown at you? Or you were you were like, no. well, I thought that was funny, and everybody was like, you're no, not. No, I've been. It's New Orleans, so they throw po boys. Um, you catch them and you eat them, right? Because yeah, you're like, absolutely. Poor. Who doesn't <laughs> want a fucking shrimp po boy? I don't go fuck if it's been on the floor. Pick that shit up. I've had some bad experiences. I so last year I was hosting a show. Um, I was so excited, like we had had so many reservations online, and um, I get to the venue to set up and. There must have been, like, 50, 60 people in this little place. Um, they were not there for the show, right? They, they were there for an event that was happening before. It was, like, a 30-year high school reunion or something like that. So they were rowdy. They were crazy. And when the show started, they were still there. And they were not there for a comedy show. They were there for their fucking reunion. <sighs> And I could not control the crowd. I could not do anything. And it was my first time where, where I just felt like I had no control. And it was very embarrassing. Worst experience in my life. But it did teach me a lot. Especially how to handle a rowdy audience. Like, as the host, I was afraid. I wanted, um, I wanted the comedians to be heard. Right. So I was going around to tables and going like... Can you guys keep it down a little bit, please? Oh, like, no, you did? I did. I, um, and then when phones went off and they were talking, like, can you go take that outside, please? So you were a micromanaging <clears throat> comedic host. I was only with the people that I thought were getting out of hand. Okay. Which was a lot of people, but there were pe some people who were being, like, extra loud. It just it didn't work. And I saw some reviews for the show, like, a few days later, and they were not good. I mean, but we had a lot of really good shows there, and um, it was just bad. Like, and the people who had reserved tables thought that I had kicked audience members out because, like, all these people all of a sudden were like leaving. Yeah. And so, from their perspective, like, I chased out a bunch of people. Uh, when what really happened was the party that had been going on before our event finally chose to leave. 
Um, oh. And so when I saw reviews, they were like, he was like, he, he, everyone was really loud and like, and the, and the host chased out like half the, half the room and it's like, oh, fuck. It was a learning experience. Now when I have a rowdy crowd, I just dive right in. Do you, are you one of those um, comedians that insults their no. audience? No, I think that's I think that's mean. I don't know. You just never know who might be triggered. Um, and again, you don't know that person. You don't know what they've got going on. The wrong insult could really go bad. Even, yeah. Even if it's a playful one, um, they might have a situation that's just too bad. And that play, you know, you just never know. So I don't insult. I instead join in, and so. Um, Three weeks ago, I was doing a show at the Howling Wolf Den, um, and uh, we just had we just had this super rowdy crowd. I mean, people were like talking to the comedians, yelling out. They would turn on their chairs and like talk to other audience members, and like uh. they were just like really loud and talking to each other. And it was fine. They were having a great time, but um, it was hard for the comedians to do their material. And so when I went up there, I just like dove right in and like pretended like I was one of them I'm like joking around with them um being just as rowdy and and just yeah having fun and I maybe got to tell about two of my jokes that whole time but you know that's the art of um of crowd work you have to be able to rein in the audience can you read you... a room now that now that you've had a little bit more experience I I already have some jokes that I've routinely tell at parties mm -hmm. and everybody knows what they're going to hear from me but like I feel like if I was to do it at a comedy club I the timing I don't know how to, how I would do that or like or naturally I speak very quickly so when do you know when to cut it so that people will be like Man, I'm going to laugh here just be yourself Jed like I said uh, that energy um, and part of what I spoke uh, or part of what I meant when I said you had a lot of energy is all part, part of that is that you speak quickly yeah. Um, and that people just want to see you be you. So don't worry about um, how you're going to tell the story, especially if it's a story. Right. That's what I. So that's what I do. Um, I'm, I don't have one liners. I have very few jokes that I can tell independently that would work as well as if I told them as uh, a part of the story, because uh, they when you tell a story, it's almost like the jokes end up building on themselves. And the farther you deeper you get into the story, like because you've laid down all this groundwork, it just gets bigger. Um, and so it sounds like you have stories. I have tons of stories. Right. And so I, f I have a feeling that once you get to the mic, you'll just tell them like you tell them. And that's what I do. Uh, I tell stories about my life. I talk about how I have sleep apnea and I talk about what it's like for me to to have to fucking sleep how stressful it is all the things i have to go through um i talk about uh growing up mexican and how like um growing up in east la uh, a city that's like mainly um chicano like chicano okay. uh i thought that was specifically for latin people who were from chicago no i have just corrected you you have been sorely mistaken your whole entire life thank you I appreciate you correcting me, and now I can go through my life um, with one less mistake I can make. <laughs> and that's called growth. And that's called learning and being human. 
<laughs> wow, you just said something super profound. What? Okay, so... Oh, so, wait, yeah. Oh, so, yes. So, um, you're worried about your pacing and your timing, right? So, um, so what I was saying is that because these are personal stories, I think you find a natural rhythm. Um, and when it comes to laughter, that, that all happens in the moment. You hear people laugh and you give it a second, right? And so, um, yeah, I think when you tell stories, I like them because they're so much more organic. Um, they come from a personal place. And because, again, because it's a story, it finds its own rhythm. It finds its own. And, and even mood, perspective, all of that, when it's a story, it sort of finds itself. Um, like there's jokes that I've been, that I did. And then when, as, as I'm developing the set, the story's developing and I find that now <clears throat> I'm using a different energy for this joke. So one of the one of my sets, uh, I talk about how I was doing a performance and um, I was talking about my sweet, sweet old Mexican grandmother. Uh -huh. And this hippie white lady comes up to the stage and says, you can't say Mexican anymore. Oh my God. And so like, right, I have to... Um, I, I then had to deal with her and explaining to her how labels work. Um, yeah. And then, um, right, so then the part, uh, so that's kind of the setup to the joke, but it's the second part that I found I've been saying differently. Um, before, I was kind of just blurting out this line, like, she started asking me a bunch of racist questions. I had to stop her and be like, ma'am, I know what you want. And the answer to all your racist questions is yes. Because I'm a Mexican, I'm from East L.A., I'm in a gang, I sell drugs, I'm lazy, and I just took your job. Yeah, you don't believe me? Check out my Instagram. SleepyFarmer underscore 420. You can see pictures of me trimming hedges, blowing leaves, smoking weed, doing drive-bys on my lawnmower. Um, oh my god. Okay, wait, what was her expression? Was she like super duper insulted? No, she thought she just thought she was right, and she thought she was lecturing me on my people. But right, so the way I just said that whole little thing, beginning from uh, the white woman came up to me, all the way to um, finishing the Instagram joke, that's kind of how I used to say it. It's like, hold on, I know what you want to hear, and now I found out that. Um, that joke plays a little bit more if I'm like a little more annoyed, a little more um, like, you know, I okay. Like, lady, please. Like, yeah, like, like more like, uh, yeah. So just a little more a different emotion than before. Like before, it was more like informative. I'm just getting out this information to you, just so you know. And now it's more like bitch, sarcasm, and a little more bitchiness. Can can guys be bitchy? Guys can be super fucking bitchy. Really? Yes. Oh my god, how so? You sound like you have. Oh no, I an have example. like, and it's not just like, it's not just gay guys that can be bitchy. It's like oh. straight dudes can be super bitchy. Like most guys, I feel are fussy, right? He... They're fussy. Guys are fussy and very particular okay, about their yeah. shit and whatever. But then when they want to make sure that you know about how fussy they are, <laughs> then they're bitchy. <laughs> And then it's like, okay, well, you're being bitchier than me, bitch. So. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're right. You're yeah, right. Yeah, it's totally true. You have to push us to bitchy, though. Like, I don't think we get bitchy. I think we have to be pushed there. 
You know what I mean? That's so true also. But like, I feel like women push men to be bitchy because... So a man will be like, oh, I'm I'm going to be fussy because a man will be vocal about what he likes or doesn't like, yeah. right? And then a woman's like, I want specifics. Not, not to push your buttons, <laughs> but they want specifics because they're like, well, I don't want to do this again. I don't have want to have to go through this again with you because you're being a fussy little bitch. And then a man's like, oh my god, I can't believe you're pushing me. Now the men, they turn super bitchy. And they're like, I just said da-da-da-da. And then we'll go to our girlfriends and bitch about you. Right after that. I think men can make bit, uh, men other men bitchy too. Really? Straight men. Oh yeah, but like, it starts out a little more manly. Like, dude... I told you to give me the fucking the the number twelve wrench. I don't know if that's a thing. I don't, I'm not very manly. Why are you giving me the ten, fool? You said the twelve, man. No, I didn't, man. You know this shit, man. Oh, look, I'm just I'm trying to do this, you know. And then they get I don't know if that was bitchy, but that is like, kind of bitchy, yeah. That's usually how male Hispanic bitchiness starts. No, man, fuck. You don't even know, huh? fuck. I've heard that growing up. Nah. No, it wouldn't make sense unless you did that lip smacking thing. Nah. Oh yeah, yeah. that's a word. Yeah, that's a word. That that's a that's part of the sentence. Nah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be funny if that was like a sound that um, you get when you get a text message. Nah. <laughs> God, oh shit! I'm gonna record that. Yeah. Actually, I'm gonna take the soundbite from this podcast. No, please. And then, um, uh, yeah. Next time, next time somebody texts me, nah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You remember our friend Jose? We called him Squirrel. How could I forget? Yeah. Um, he is gonna listen to this, right? You're gonna make him listen. Oh, to I'm this? gonna make him okay. listen to it. Yeah. Hi, and, Jose. And if you come to my comedy show on Wednesday. Uh, this Wednesday, you can see Jorge Velasquez at the Van Nuys Comedy Club located in the Springbok. Uh, what, what time? Uh, um, tickets are free, and uh, seating starts at 8 p.m. Uh, he will be opening for famous Latin comedian Joey Medina. Don't miss it. Don't. Don't. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Uh, sorry. Um, why was I talking about Jose? Phones. Yeah. Um. Okay, I have to stop this here because we went off on a tangent that made absolutely no sense. So now I'm going to bring it all back to reality. So you have done gigs <clears throat> in New Orleans, obviously. That's your stomping ground. Uh-huh. Was this point of time your first set of LA shows? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I've only been doing stand-up for about a year and a half, um, and so the last couple of times I came down, I don't know why it didn't occur to me to not to like go out and find a mic, um, but this time uh, I came out here, I'm like, I'm going to hit a mic every night, <clears throat> and uh, I had, I've gone to three mics. That's they're awesome. Fun. Yeah, and they're fun, and one of them, one of them uh, ended up with a booked gig. So and that's Where? This, this one. Oh, that's the one. Oh, okay, that's the one you're talking yeah. about. Opening for Joy Medina, Jorge Velasquez at the Van Nuys Comedy Club this Wednesday, eight p.m. Don't miss it. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a difference? Do you think between uh, uh, <laughs> you fucker? 
Uh, is there a difference you think from a New Orleans audience um, and an uh, Angelino audience? Oh, um, I don't think uh, Los Angeles really has an audience um, for open mics. Oh, really? Are they yeah. like not smart so they don't get your jokes? Or no, like... I mean like um, the three mics I've been to, um, I've only performed for other comedians who are waiting their turn. You know, and, and this I can attest to being from New Orleans is that there's a, there's a tighter community in New Orleans. There, um, so, there is a sense of um, community and family there. Um, it could also be very cliquish. There are some people who stick together and only like do their own things. Um, it's such a small city that um, <clears throat> everybody really knows everyone. Everyone knows everyone in the scene and um, physically it's such a small city that you can go and hit multiple mics in one night because you can absolutely finish one open mic and then zoom over across town in 10 minutes and hit the one that started an hour later and um, some nights you can hit up to three mics here in LA wow. it's well you have to drive to the mics right obviously yeah. we're so spread out yeah um, so I've been having to pick and choose um, which mic I was going to try out um, because I can't do multiple ones. It just, by the time I get there and the show gets rolling and it ends, um, the other one has already started and it's all the way across town. Um, also, you're in a city that's geared towards making it. You know, like, that's the goal. And making it means doing everything I can so that I can get that job. I think more people in New Orleans are just doing it for the love of it. I would say Los Angeles, you probably need to trend it up a bit. Are you the only, like, uh, one of a few handful of brown comedians in New Orleans? What are we looking at demographically? Why do you have to bring race into this? Because I must. Um, yeah, it's a predominantly black uh, community, um, though I would say secondary is white, and there's just... There's a good white presence. Why did that sound so bad? I'm... Because you enunciated white. <laughs> <laughs> you had to enunciate it, so it's like, okay, white. well, you said uh, white. White. Yeah. How else am I supposed to say it? Well, you could have just said, it... oh, like a white community, but then you, you said... Did, you just did it. No, but, okay, there's a difference. Watch. No, there isn't, because it's the word itself. It just lends itself to being white. White. Like, there's no way to do that. What? Without and then landing on that t sound without sounding weird. Yeah, but if you emphasize the consonant, that's different. For white. example, you can just white. say a white community. Why? Right? But you said a, white a white community. Community. <laughs> a white community. A white community. A white. Um. So, George, may I please ask you a question about your career trajectory? Sure, gentlemen. Please. So my question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question is. How are you promoting yourself using social media? The 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 worst way possible with my time. Um, I hate social media. Anything where where you put like here's my name and here's who I am, like uh, yeah, fucking I hate you. it. Um, but it's necessary. In fact, um, aside from direct ads, um, it might be one of the most powerful tools we have right now. Um, but it's a crazy, crazy gig. It's a weird scheme. Um, 
it's all about numbers. It's all about um, appearances. It's all about how you present yourself. Um, you have to project this aura of success, first of all, uh, which means uh, starting at the bottom with the content you choose to post, right? It doesn't matter what platform, if it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, right? The pictures you put up, the words you put up, um, are the very first indicator of who you are. Make sure that you tailor your your social media to what you're presenting, um, which is why I have um, multiple accounts um, for my multiple personalities. Um, I always knew you were <laughs> lunatic. <laughs> I think that was obvious. <laughs> I do have two social, uh, two Instagrams. Um, I have my professional one and I have my personal one. And then there's the business one where it's easy. You just follow everyone follow everything and all the hashtags and you like everything and that's like, your favorite one right i hate that one <laughs> fucking hate it um i'm proud to say that uh <laughs> i have a whopping 790 followers oh on the professional one? Oh yeah okay and how did you get that many <laughs> followers um i mean because you're obviously oh, an influencer oh, oh are you kidding the truth is and i don't think this is a secret when you're trying to promote yourself or your business you and you start an Instagram for it or a Facebook, you just start following all the randomest people. You and so fucking a suggestion pops up, you hit friend. And um <clears throat> you know, I mean you st I I started by friending all the comedians, all my personal friends and stuff, but yeah, after that anyone who I saw that lived in New Orleans, I'm like friend friend or follow 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 but man to really be effective on social media you have to put in your time um, and that means just being on the apps all day and I'm not exaggerating uh, you have to open it up multiple times an hour you refresh your feed and you have to like everything that you see um, every like is your name popping up on someone's feed See, I didn't know that because I didn't want to fucking do that, but I guess I have to do that. So the more followers you have, the more the more likes you have to give out. But right, again, each one is your name. Just recently, I also realized um, maybe I should start messaging people personally. Um, one of my followers um, messaged me recently and was like, Hey man, thank you so much for liking my stuff. I really think you're funny and like... And um, every now and then they'll send me a message, uh, so, you know, similar like, hey, thanks for liking that. And now I know who this person is. I know their name and I know their face and I've never met them. Um, all because she messaged me a couple of times. She but, made it a point to put herself on your radar repeatedly. Yes. Okay. Right. And I think that's just human. Someone approaches you multiple times. You start to remember them. Um, and I'll see that one person <clears throat> liked five of my things in a row, and now I just see a list of their name. And then there's all the other stupid things, like the little unwritten rules, like you can't you can't be following more people than are following you, otherwise you seem desperate. Oh God, then I that's maybe that's why I'm losing. Oh my God, <laughs> what's your ratio? Like the the wider the ratios get the the worse it is for you so if like oh really if you're following Fuck. like 500 if only 500 people are following you jed and you're following a thousand that's a terrible ratio 
I can I beat look... your imaginary ratio and tell you I follow 2,000 people <gasps> and I have, I used to have 350 followers and now I have a little under 300. Do you know why I have under 300? Why? Because earlier this year I decided to be socially responsible and put fuck Trump all over my IG stories and abortion stuff. For those of you who yeah. couldn't see, that was a high five sound. Yes pro-abortion stuff fuck yeah the next thing i know all these midwest bitches that used to follow me for all of my amazing food pictures stopped following me uh well okay here's another little piece of advice you can't you can't really take stances on your um promotional sites unless unless you're saying this is what my entire company stands for and this you know and i'm not saying you can't have feelings about it but as a company, you want to seem neutral. As Jettelin the person on your personal site, you sh you're free to say whatever you want. But as a brand, anytime you take a stance, you're therefore alienating potential viewers, followers, fans, whatever. Um, so yeah, it, uh, so I mean, I didn't want to say you can't get political because obviously you you should be able to use any platform you have to speak out against all injustices and right. whatever you feel needs to be heard. I think you just have to be aware of what that's going to do um, to you. Go start following hashtags, and then right so um, hashtag dessert or hashtag ha hashtag bagash. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> or hashtag um I, I think my millennial listeners are not gonna know what the fuck you just referenced you oh. know that's not a brand anymore right oh gosh my gosh no i don't think so what oh my god that but they were so fun to say i know i got my oh gosh my gosh on <laughs> follow hashtags like oh. for me um coming out to la i knew <clears throat> i knew i needed to make connections um, before I got out here, or at the very least, make my presence known. People must know that I am here. <laughs> and so, um, weeks ago, I started following hashtags like LA Comedy, or um, LA Open Mic, or Mo Open Mic LA, um, Los Angeles Comedy, Los Angeles Stand Up, LA Stand Up, <clears throat> right? Anything that had to do with the thing. And so I followed all those hashtags and under LA comedy and some of my things will pop up from this week. Um, right. But before that, I, I searched those hashtags and then, um, I started following They start, I start seeing individuals. I follow all these individual accounts that pop up from the hashtags that I follow. And then I start liking all of their stuff <laughs> to all fucking 2500 fucking billion to um to get the attention of an individual but it takes a long time and it's super exhausting and not only do i run my personal instagram i have my comedian instagram i have an instagram for the class that i teach um and i have an and i run the social media for the new orleans civic symphony um so i have four pages that i have to look at all day every day like i don't want to post more than once or twice a day but then there's there's these people fucking post like every five minutes and guess what they have a million followers or well yeah but 
I'm also now starting to recognize them because I'm um. seeing. <clears throat> oh God, they just posted. They just posted. So their name and stuff keeps popping up. I start recognizing the handles. You know, I start recognizing that I'm seeing this thing over and over. Um, and so next time I see it, it's it's a. Uh, it's because they're fucking everywhere. You they know everything. Everywhere. You know all their names, and like you don't want to, but they're there. They just saturate your fucking brain. Yeah, and and I mean that's what the media has been doing for years. We just now have the power to do that as individuals. But the problem with that is that you oversaturate, uh, I guess, the airwaves, so to speak. You you saturate the medium. It really is just about getting in everyone's face, so to speak, with your content. Wave your content all over somebody's face. For the past 15 minutes, you've been talking and giving me all these social media tips. I need you to help me get at least over 400 followers. I would consider that okay. a victory. Um, for your next show, you're going to give your listeners an update. How many followers do you have right now? Open her up. And then when you do your next show, you're going to give them an update. And I guarantee you, we'll get you at least another 100 followers. You guarantee... Okay, what yeah. happens if your guarantee does not work? Then your money back. <laughs> There's no money on the table. Well, then you get double your money back. Fine. I'll give you three times your money back if you don't get... If I don't double your followers. Wow. I, I, will, I will double your followers I, in one month. Okay, I have 292 followers. 292. Write it down right now. She wrote it down. She didn't write it down. I didn't write it down, but yes. We're going to get that to a 500 minimum. Really? Yeah. Oh my God, if you do that, I will send you cookies every single day. And how many people are you following? Okay, I'm following 2,839 people. We will get you following no more than like maybe 200. Um, this is ambitious. We will get you following no more than 100 people more. Than are following you. Really? Yeah. And I, I'm intrigued. And in the beginning, that's just how it is because, um, what you those those other hundred people that aren't following you, you're following them because you're waiting for them to follow you. And then and then as those people as the time goes on and you see that they're not following you, you unfollow them. And so there's always gonna be at least in the beginning you're almost always gonna have be following more people. Uh, in hopes that, right, that 100 people that aren't following you, you're going to get a few of them. And whoever you don't, you're going to wipe out and then follow another 100. Uh, hmm. But that doesn't all happen at once. I mean, one person at a time, people get, you know, it's like a rotation. But um, I guarantee you, minimum 500 followers. I know that's not a lot, but no, from where we're starting. No, that's a lot for me. That's a lot for me. Um, and yeah, we'll get you a good ratio, the golden ratio, because it's math. Okay. Hashtag Asian joke. <laughs> Hashtag Judd did not laugh. <laughs> Are you ready for a rapid fire questionnaire? No. Boxers or briefs? Both. Superman or Batman? Superman. Of course. This is the only reason why we're friends, by the way. Yeah. Beef or pork? Uh, pork. Pork or chicken? Pork. Chicken or beef? Beef. Gay or bisexual? I, you're you. not putting these... Oh, me. Neither. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you're not putting any of these into any context. 
Are you tall or short? Oh, uh, in the mid in the middle. I think short. A cute short. I'm, 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 wow. I just thought I was always average, but okay, short. Short. Oh no, I made you feel bad. You are av you are average. Okay. L.A. or New Orleans? L.A. How long have you been in New Orleans? Ten years. I know my spirit uh, wants to move back as soon as possible, but I've got too much going on in New Orleans to just pack up and leave. Saxophone or trumpet? Trumpet. Why? I don't know. I've never... I'm the only person that ever answers saxophone. Because it's more... It's more majestic. Yeah. But the saxophone like, is sexy and campy. Yeah. I'm, yeah. And okay. A trumpet could make me sound kingly. Whereas a saxophone would make me streetly. I was, <laughs> kingly or streetly? <laughs> um, yeah. DC so or Marvel? Oh, um, DC. Wait, context. Read comic a DC books? comic book or Marvel comic book? DC. Would you rather watch a Marvel movie or watch a DC movie? Marvel. I agree with you. Yeah. What the about cartoons? DC cartoons. Yeah. All the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, DC seems to be doing well everywhere except in movies. Why do you think that is? <sighs> Jealousy, competition. Um, Zack Snyder is the reason why DC movies suck. Yes and no, but yes. Um, I saw Justice League and I, I actually teared up. I'm not joking. But that was Joss Whedon. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Zack Snyder didn't finish Justice League. He got... Remember, he had a... Uh, was it his wife died or his daughter? He yeah, but it was his <clears throat> idea to use that type of film. And it was his idea to put... I mean, this is a spoiler. To put Superman in the end. So Joss Whedon would have never fucked it up if he had control over the entire thing. This is such a weird thing to argue because I'm not trying to defend Zack Snyder. Um, but I think Justice League was just a giant shit show because you were trying to do Zack Snyder's vision through another director whose who uh, cinema, cinematog cinematography whose a style of cinematography is much different. You know, like, the aspects of the Marvel movies sort of, like, mixed in with Zack Snyder, and it didn't work. It created an odd feeling. I don't know how Marvel can make Robert Downey Jr. look 19 again. Warner Brothers can't remove a fucking mustache. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And um, my problem with Zack Snyder is not the world he created. It is the way he chose to tell his stories and some of his casting choices. And, and the way he presented Batman as well. Ben Affleck is by far the best Batman I've seen. Oh my God, you're not my friend anymore. I know, and I'm sorry. And on, like before the movie came out, I never would have said that. I would have, I was like on that. I wait, was wait, on, why are you saying this to me? Why? Because, because one, uh, his costume looks amazing. Okay, but that um, doesn't have anything to do with Ben Affleck. Um, he makes a, re he looks really good as Batman. He looks really good as Bruce Wayne. His, his acting. Is terrible. It's enough for Batman. Batman doesn't need to have a wide range. He just needs to be like either brooding or pissed. Um, where so right like I think Christian Bale did a good um, Bruce Wayne I think he was a horrible Batman 
fucking terrible but Batman. Was it his bat voice? <clears throat> it was everything. I hated him as as a character. It was okay. just poorly made. In my George opinion. Clooney as Batman with his nipple costume. Worst Batman. Okay, sorry. Let's rate them then. This oh, is great. Okay. I, I think because I, I, I value your opinion because they're both DC people. Uh, top of the list. Ben Affleck. I'm so sorry. Oh my god. I know. I let you into my home. I know. I took my shoes off and everything. <laughs> Michael Keaton. Val Kilmer. Adam West. You're going to put Christian Bale on the bottom of this list. You're thinking about it. Christian Bale. Ugh. And then George Clooney. I disagree with you. That entire list? No, not... The, okay, so my list would be... Um, Adam West. Okay. For the camp. The original OG camp. Yeah. Um, Christian Bale. Ugh. Already so this list is nowhere near. <laughs> Michael Keaton. Yeah. Val Kilmer. Yeah. George Clooney. Ugh. And Ben Affleck. Ugh. Uh, you're, you're just wrong. Look, in terms of what I expect from a Batman, uh, again, Ben Affleck did a, a good job in the role. Um, but more importantly... The way he was portrayed in the movies, his movements, his fighting scenes, was more Batman than any Batman I'd ever seen. And I will give it that it's, it's because we have better CGI than we did when when we were doing the Keaton movie. We, I didn't make them. When you were doing the Keaton uh, movies. I, uh -huh. Yeah, I remember when I was working on the Keaton uh, <laughs> Batman movie. <laughs> you said it so seriously. Right, the whole... The whole thing with the Christopher Nolan and it being too real with him being picked up by a plane, that was the closest we saw him to, like, shooting a cable at something and swinging. Um, I just didn't dig it. I'm sorry, Chad. I, I know. Stop looking at me like that. Ben Affleck was the best Batman. Watch it again. Yeah, I don't know if you will have planted a seed and then I'll be like, is he right? Oh my God. I might have an existential crisis. You might, but all I'm going to say is Zack Snyder, cre uh, the, I love the world he created. Visually, I think it looks amazing. Um, in Batman versus Superman, you know, you can take stills from this, from this movie that are just amazing. Um, I just, I think he made some terrible casting choices, especially with Jesse Eisenberg. And um, I think the way he chose to tell his stories, especially super iconic stories, was just a disservice to the characters. And how dare you give us a fight between those two before we've they, they've built any sort of relationship. It's because it's like action in your face yeah. right away. Yeah. Like it, and it didn't make any sense to me, right? Like you have the first, uh, you have Batman, Superman. The whole time Batman's all like, he's got to be stopped. You know, if there's a 1% chance he's our enemy, I can't take that chance. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> and then all of a sudden Justice League rolls around and he's all like, he was a beacon to the world, Alfred. He was a symbol of everything that was good. Make up your mind and when did you, just because he died? It is because he died. That's it? Yes. That's it? That's why I fucking hated that movie. It, yeah. It's like, it made no sense. None. Dialogue was stupid. None. It, but watch the characters' movements and their actions and, like, watch the scenery. And 
it's an amazing world. Um, I just, I think it's the material that they gave them that was just terrible. Um, sort of like um, Captain Marvel. Um, I thought it was a very average film. Um, I, was, I agree with you. I was very super excited for it. Um, right, this was, and also this was, it was supposed to be like the big feminist uh, movie showing finally a, a solo superpowered female character and I think they just botched her up so much. It was all about like how girls can do anything boys can, which is an amazing message. But at the end of the day, when you watch that movie, it's all about them saying that and not showing you. Yeah, actually, my biggest problem with the movie was the Annette Benning stuff. Yeah. It was like, okay, you're going into like a, obviously some kind of Tesseract portal and you're talking to her and she's the great being. But her ambiguous malevolence and her ambiguous sense of omnipotence mm -hmm. made absolutely no sense. None. Yeah. None. I, I, where was her power? Her power was only when she was connected to to this whatever consciousness she was, right? Uh, outside of outside of of Captain Marvel being connected, I guess sort of plugged in. Yeah. Uh, that whole entity was nothing. And then the last fight scene just made no sense. It's like, oh, okay, so you set the whole scene up in the beginning with, like, you gotta fight your enemy without using your powers. What the... Why? If you have powers, use them against your enemies. That's the whole point of being a superhero. Right, and then, and then at the end, he's all like, come on, just like I taught you, you and me, no powers. And I'm glad she fucking just fucking blasted him. It was a movie that pandered to its audiences and didn't even do that well i would like to have gotten more of a backstory they don't show how hard it is for women to be to become test pilots or pilots in general and yet she just kind of goes from like having a tough time at boot camp which everyone does to being a pilot and all they tell her is that like you can't really do all these other missions that's true i felt like they uh, maybe they thought that by putting those scenes in, it would show you that she had adversity in her past. But at the same time, their main goal was to show you, oh, this is a, we're showing you little bits and pieces. So you help us solve this mystery of what her past meant to the person that she is now. What is she hiding? What's her background like? Yeah. So it, both messages. They got lost. Yeah. Right. And it just, it reeked of fucking men. What an interesting segue we went. No, I like that because I I love talking about this stuff. I like parsing down and analyzing movies and what they mean in pop culture. Um, um, I know you have to get going, so last question: What are you excited about lately? I don't know. I guess I'm I'm sort of embarking on this new journey with stand up, trying to take it a little more seriously, even though I'm not. I want to do more of it. I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not trying to make money off of this it's just something that's feeding my soul in ways i never expected i think my main focus in life though is my um real career um which is education um right now i'm i'm an adjunct professor at the university of new orleans Yay. And yeah um and i love it it's i want to continue being an educator and that's that's really where i see myself heading um, unless I do become rich and famous. Uh, Don't forget about me. I'm your only Asian friend. I, I, I can't forget about you. I, you know, anything Asian come pops up and I'm like, Jedlin. 
That's it. You know, you guys want to have Chinese today? Jetlin. Jetlin's Asian. Um, I'm so proud of you and where you are right now in your life. Oh, I'm proud of you and I love you so much, Jed. I love I'm you too. So glad uh, I'm here. Just go on Instagram, um, search underscore Jorge Velasquez underscore, and on Facebook, Jorge Velasquez. What's the name of your podcast? Funny Talks. Funny Talks with George. Jorge. It's just Funny Talks. Oh, no. Funny Talks with George. No, no with. Funny Talks with Jorge? No with, gentlemen. <laughs> just kidding. It's just Funny, funny talks. talks. Okay, everybody, that is a wrap. Our guest today is George Velasquez. This episode was produced by me and Duff Records. Our theme song is by Duff Records. Our intro is from Random British Dude. Thank you.